Good morning. It's a great blessing for me to come to you today and just bring you the good news, the gospel of His grace once again. This is what this program is all about. This is what our web church is all about. It's about bringing the grace gospel, the message of God's faithfulness, the message of God's love, and the power wherewith God manifests who He is in this world. Thank you so much for slotting in and allowing me to serve you with the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us just pray together as we start our service. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you that your power is all over us. And thank you that you enable me to preach this message that you've laid upon my heart to minister, that I can preach it uh, powerfully and that people can be deeply impacted. Thank you that you've come to bring rest to our hearts. You've come to bring peace to us. We are your beloved. You are the one that loves us and we are those whom you want to love thank you for that lord amen and amen when the scripture says that we are the beloved of god that word beloved i looked at it in the greek and the best way i can translate it now i'm no greek scholar but what it looks to me like is it is the one who has been agaped by god the the one that is the object on whom God has poured out his love. So we are the beloved. We are those to whom the very agape of God is directed. So I want you to say, and just use your own name, and I will use my name, and and say the following. Bertie Brits, you are the beloved of God. Put your own name and just say, that you are the beloved of God. Now, when you face difficult times and you say that, it has got such a, a power around it that I've just seen, I've seen on, 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 on the internet as well, people that say that. It's like your heart goes to rest at the love of God that is directed towards you. So I want to say to you, you are God's beloved. Let's do what John did. I mean, when John wrote in John, he said, uh, John, the apostle, the apostle whom the Lord loved, talking about himself. So I want you to, to know that God loves you, that his hand is extended towards you, and that the actions that there is from God towards you is born from his innermost being. It is not something that is just cognitive. It, it is deeper than that. It is not a decision of the will. I've heard somebody say that love is a decision. Um, and I understand where love is a choice and love is a decision and all those kind of things. But I do believe that narrowing it down just to a decision is just simply uh, not really what it is all about. Love is deeper than that. Love is what flows from the innermost being, the core of God the one that has been from uh, everlasting to everlasting and what flows out of him to bring you forth and share his life with you for him to be the source of life to you. That is what it is all about. He just wants to be good to you. And we receive that love from him. Amen. Now, when we think of a father that truly loves his child and he thinks of the future of his child, and let's say this person is uh, is well off, he's financially he's made in life and those kind of things, and he truly loves his children. He says, well, 
I want to make sure that they are provided for in the future and I give them uh, everything I have as inheritance. So they inherit the business, they inherit everything. Now, imagine the child says, no, I don't want to inherit this. I don't want what you receive, uh, what, what you give freely. I want to be a self-made millionaire. But let's say that that child is not a very good businessman. Uh, he's not, he doesn't have the ability to start a business from scratch. He does have the ability and he has been given the know-how in how to continue to run the business. But to start it from scratch will be very difficult for him. If this child then insists on being a self-made millionaire, what awaits him is poverty and struggles. And the only access unto a life of financial prosperity would then be to humble himself, repent, and receive the gift that has always been given for free. Now, what I've just explained there is the story of Israel for so many years, and I think it's the story of many people for so many years. We have lived in fear, and I think this is what has been driven to people, and that is that one should fear God, make sure you live right before God, and if you don't live right before God, then God will deny you life, and that he will basically be upset with you. Now, if we look at the analogy that I've used, <clears throat> excuse me, if we looked at the analogy that I've used, uh, we can clearly see that the fear of poverty is not, or to be afraid of poverty is not from the father's side. It is like the prodigal son. He takes his inheritance and abuses it and doesn't use it for what he was supposed to use it and then messes everything up. And the destruction does not come from the father. The destruction comes from the inability of the son, the uh, wrong understanding on how to appropriate all of that, not being with the father, being in a place where you stand on your own two legs by your own ability and where you are also given over to uh, people of another country that doesn't have your best interest at heart that would like to make a slave out of you. Now, that is, uh, I mean, that is something to fear. But it is not that we fear God and that we are afraid of God and therefore we want to serve God properly because he will punish me. No, uh, if there's any fear in a Christian's life, the fear is of what will happen to you if God is not assisting you, what will happen to you if the life of God that he gives freely, which is a life of stability, a good life, a life where he shows faithfulness to you and brings forth the fruit of the Spirit to your life, if, he, if that is not there and you must use your own ability that is within the parameters of mortality, which cannot last forever, I mean... Um, that is what we need to be afraid of. What will happen then? So we are not afraid of God. We, If there's any fear, the fear is of what will be if we are without life. That is what the fear is. Now, we should not direct that fear to God. So we're going to talk about fearing the Lord and what it means to fear the Lord. We're going to define what fear the Lord is, and then we're going to look at it in the Psalms. We're going to go through... Uh, many different passages and take the, the word fear and replace it with what it truly means according to the Psalms and then let that encourage our hearts. Okay, we're going to start with Psalm 103. Psalm 103 and 
Let's start at verse 11. It says, For as high as what the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As what, if we look at the difference between what's going on in heaven and if we think of what's going on uh, on earth, and we not uh, bringing in the kingdom of God that has come to earth into the equation. If we just look at earth lost without life on its way to destruction and we think of heaven and the, the quality of life that there is in heaven, how eternal it is. And that could be put on a height of, uh, you know, d distance. You can measure it. The difference between the two that's how great the love of God is. And that is beautiful because the love of God covers the distance between heaven and earth. It covers. It's greater. It can reach us. So the love of God, if we think how far you are in where, whatever your experience might be and wherever mankind was, separated from God, that distance between heaven and earth, that's how great the love of God is. So that love of God can fit in there and bring a unification between heaven and earth. So that means that God can reach you where you are in the place where you might experience that you are far from God or where you feel that <clears throat> I'm just worldly, um, I'm of the earth, like the earth, my life is falling apart. Whatever you're going through, whatever the gap is, God's love can fill that gap, can reach it says here that this great love is um, it's for those who fear him. So the love that there is, the gap between heaven and earth, is for those, or I would put it in this word, in these words, it is on those and manifesting in those that fear the Lord. Now, one might say, is the love of God then not for everybody? Is the love of God only for those who believe upon him? No. Uh, is the love of God only for those who've got respect for God? No. The love of God is for everybody. It is unto all people. Like the Bible says, salvation is unto all, especially upon those who believe upon him. Uh, it is like a gift. If there's a gift that is for all the kids in the school, uh, the, the gift is for all, but it's especially manifesting and having its fulfillment in those who take the gift and not say no thank you so that is what it is the love of god is for all and that gap is truly covered in those that fear the lord now again i want to say and i want you i don't want you to be afraid because sometimes people are so afraid when it comes to the fear of the lord thinking of end time judgment thing of what's going to come. And then we as Christians many times are more afraid than the world. I've seen that. The world, they, when they, th they think of the return of Jesus Christ, they say, oh, well, that's just a myth. It's not even an issue. But the Christian, when they think of the return of Jesus Christ, many of them, especially those who are focused on their own works and their own ability and the works of the Lord, have I lived right or not lived right, uh, they are more scared. 
oh, when Jesus comes, would I have enough works or not? Now, let me put it this way. There are two kinds of people. You get the person that says, well, I'm saved by my works. And you can even find a person that might say, well, I work at a company and uh, you can take, take my life. I'm not a believer in Jesus Christ, but I do more good than anybody here that is a believer in Jesus Christ. And they can measure, they can check, they can see that I am the one that helps people the most. That's the kindest person in this company. And I, my life measures up with any person that uh, that is a Christian. Now, well, that might be true that you live a very good life, but we are not saved by our works. Uh, as You cannot become eternal by your good works. We are saved by grace. And then you get the other person, he's saved by grace, and then he says, well, that means that I will have no good work. No, <laughs> we are saved from uh, death and the fruit of the flesh, and God then brings forth his life in us. And that is how we see good works. But the foundation of it all is this. We are not saved by our works. We are saved by grace, and that salvation also manifests in our lives. I've made a, a daily devotional where I've explained it also in this past week, is that we are, uh, we are saved and we are justified and our justification manifests in our works. Now, let me get back to the message. I think I can just throw this in here quickly in Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 7 just quickly. We read verse 14 and 17. Just to make sure you understand this, to explain to you the fulfillment of the law. Verse 11, it says, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, then there would be no need for another priesthood to be established. It says in verse 18, For the former regulation is set aside... The old law system is set aside. Why? Because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. So you cannot be made perfect by the law, neither by the works of the law. You can only be made perfect by Jesus Christ, and that's why the old one, old has been put away. So please, when I talk about fruit, never think that I'm saying, well, you know, we are saved by our works. Back to Psalm 103. Fear, when it comes to fear, we are not to be afraid. Every time the angel appeared, every time uh, they, uh, Jesus appeared, he says, fear not, don't be afraid. But we are to have the fear of the Lord. Let's see what it means. Let's go to Psalm 103 again. It says here that as high as the heavens is above the earth, so great is, he, uh, is his love for those who fear him. Then it says in verse... Uh, 30, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I've heard somebody say, you know, you get a north pole and a south pole, you can still get to the pole, you know, and you can measure the distance from the north pole to the south pole, but there's not an east and west pole. You can just go east all the time. Uh, you know, east, 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 east. You're never going to go west. So it's uh, in that way, if we think of it, I don't think that the writer of this, David, had that in mind. But that's a nice way of thinking of it. The way God has removed our transgressions from us is in a place where we can never reach it again. It's completely gone. It's been cast into the sea of forgetfulness. And if God has forgotten about it, then it can really not be remembered again. 
It says in verse 13, As a father has compassion on his children, that word compassion is mercy, so the Lord has compassion or mercy or unfailing love on those who fear him. For he knows that we are for, excuse me, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like the grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place is remembered no more. But from everlasting to everlasting is the Lord's love for those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. We'll still get to that verse. So what we see here is we see a prerequisite all the time. A prerequisite is to fear the Lord. Now, let's go to Psalm 33, verse 18. I'm going to look at what the fear of the Lord is. Also go to Psalm 147, and we're going to look at verse 11 there and see what that means and what the fear of the Lord is. Psalm 33. And verse 18 says, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. And then it explains what the fear is. On those who hope in his unfailing love. So to fear the Lord means to hope in his unfailing love. To fear the Lord is to hope in his unfailing love. Psalm 147 verse 11 confirms that. Another psalm writer writes and he says, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who puts their hope in his unfailing love. So the Lord delights or loves those who puts their hope in, their, in his unfailing love. So the first thing is we put our hope. Hope it means a confident expectation. We've got a confident expectation of good that would come from his unfailing love. Unfailing means two things. It means never ending, never dying, and always successful. It does not fail. It will attain unto what it has set itself forth to bring forth, the love of God, this unfailing love. And love never fails means it never ceases to exist. It continues forever. It never ends. It's unfailing. We will find that human ability fails, and that is what we get to in Psalm 103 again. Uh, it says the glory of a man is basically like the flower. It is there today, and it is just gone. When the wind blows over it, when, when death starts to blow over it, it's gone. It says here, and let's read it. God knows our form, and he remembers that we are just dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. That very field will not remember the flower, although the flower was so beautiful. The glory of man is not forever, but God knows that. That's why he makes his eternal existence and love available for us, and that's called his unfailing love. So those who fear the Lord, those who, the Bible says here, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Now, 
I do believe that God has got compassion on all people. It doesn't mean that God will only show love for those who are uh, believing upon him. But we find that the manifestation of that, as a father cares for his child, as a father really does things and bring it forth, so God brings things forth for those who have a confident expectation in his unfailing love. So whenever we read fear, we can uh, put in hope in his unfailing love. So that means we can read verse 17 as follows. But from everlasting to everlasting is the Lord's love. Excuse me. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who hope in his unfailing love. And his righteousness, this is the righteousness of God now, is for his children's children. Isn't that beautiful? So, as we are expecting the unfailing love of God, as we have a confident expectation in that, we will find the righteousness of God manifest towards us and it will be for our children's children. My sons, when I preached this message in Afrikaans earlier this morning, they were sitting here and it was so beautiful for me to know that the love of God in the righteousness of God shall be seen in their lives. What God has said to me is Bertie, and what he's saying to you is that we who expect his unfailing love, not expect anger and wrath, but expect his unfailing love, have a confident hope in his unfailing love. We rest in that unfailing love, and God, like a father, he comes and he provides for us and manifests his unfailing love in us because we are appropriate, appropriating it. We are using it. And his righteousness, which is God's equitable deeds manifesting in this world, shall be on my children's children. Hallelujah. Glory to God. This is so, so beautiful. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on all those who expect and hope in his unfailing love. For he knows our form. He knows our weakness. But from everlasting to everlasting is the Lord's love to those who expect and have a confident expectation in his unfailing love. What is his unfailing love? We see his unfailing love towards Adam. God made Adam from the dust of the earth, just like this passage here. He knew that Adam was of the dust of the earth. He called him Adam, which means of the earth. And he said to him, in your own ability, you cannot live forever. But I come and I offer my unfailing love to you. The word mercy in the Greek uh, means and it talks about the mercy here, the compassion of the Father. It means to bow the neck in regard and in honoring of another, or it also has got the word barak in its root meaning, which means to step down or to kneel and help someone. So when God kneels down in Jesus Christ, he comes to the earth, to the dust of the earth, and he offers his unfailing love to us. 
Now, as God does that, and we behold God on bended knee, I tell you, when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, and you think of the whole message of the uh, the, the word that was promised, the death or the incarnation, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we are seeing God bending down to man, not in worship, but in help, stooping down from heaven to help us. And what he's saying is he says, I love you, and I love you with an everlasting love. I love you with a love that cannot fail. And let me prove it to you. I'll become a man. I'll be born of a woman. The word of God will be born of a woman. We will find that this uh, this word of God that became flesh will then live a life on this earth as the mortals do. He will hang upon a cross as cursed as what man was after he tried to live in his own ability. And all that he would do is, and this is what Jesus did, is he hoped in the unfailing love of the Father. He didn't try by his own ability. He trusted the unfailing love of the Father. And the Father, in stepping down to the earth, showing us his unfailing love, raised Christ from the dead. And as he raised Jesus from the dead, and Jesus ascended on high and is seated as a man at the right hand of the Father, we find God's message towards us. We open our eyes from the day of our birth. We are beholding a God that stands on bended knee before us. And he says, I'll be faithful to you. I will love you. I'll be good to you. I'll be kind to you. Your future is secure in me. I'll produce in you love and peace. I'll produce in you character traits that makes that you cannot be controlled by the things of this world. Because I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be there for you. That is what he says. And as we behold that and we fear the Lord, we now Honor him. And that's what the Afrikaans, Afrikaans word there for fear the Lord means. It means to honor. It was translated in the direct Afrikaans translation just in the way it is written in the original. It is just to honor or to worship, to say, I honor this. I expect this. The Almighty God. Imagine the Almighty God standing on bended knee. In rejecting that, that would be sin. That is sin. We accept that. And then we find as we accept that, like a waiter, he's coming to you and he's saying to you, here's the menu. This is it. And if he says, the, there's somebody else that pays the bill. This is for you. What do you do? You order from the menu. You receive it. And then the whole, then the waiter comes and he brings it forth. So God, God heaven's waiter, comes to earth and he's waiting on us. Standing on bended knee, saying, this is what I promise you. I promise you, and I bring compassion towards you, God's love 
to share his life eternal with you, to dwell with you forever, to give you a seat with him in the Godhead where we sit with him inside his eternal life, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, above all powers and principalities. That's what he offers. Now, with that in mind, let us go to different passages and we're going to read it in Psalms. Now, the phrase fear the Lord or have the fear of the Lord is mostly in the Psalms. So we're going to go through some of the Psalms here. Psalm 25 verse 14 says the following. It says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. As what God came to Abraham, what did he say to Abraham? He went to Abraham, an idol-worshipping man, and he said to him, listen, Abraham, follow me. Leave this place, follow me. Abraham, what did he do? He saw the God of heaven and earth standing on bended knee, promising him life, promising him unfailing love. What did he do? He believed God. When God promised him and he said to him, Abraham, I see that as pertaining to your body and Sarah's body, you are just going to return to the dust of the earth. You're going to have no uh, children. But what I promise you is that if you believe me, I stand on bended knee and I'm saying to you, Sarah will be with child. And what did Abraham do? The Bible says Abraham believed God. And as Psalm 25 verse 14 says, friendship, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And Abraham believed God and he was called God's friend. Jesus says to his disciples that you are my friends, for I've told you everything. So here it says that those who fear the Lord, those who hope in his unfailing love, So we're not going to read the word fear anymore. We're just going to read it the way it's supposed to be. The friendship of the Lord is for those who, who not fear, but expect or hope in his unfailing love. He makes known to them his covenant. Psalm 33 verse 8. Let the earth hope in the unfailing love of the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So this is for the whole world. It's not just for some, it's for all. And that is for you that's watching this. I know that we are, as an internet church, we are already having our hope in the unfailing love of God. And you might be watching this for the very first time in your life. And you are maybe so riddled with fear and you're so scared of the future. You don't know what's going to happen. I want to tell you that God says, let the whole earth have a hope in the unfailing love of God. Have a confident expectation in the unfailing love of God. As Psalm 33, 18 said, and I'm going to read it again. Behold, the eye of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast unfailing love the love of God is steadfast Psalm 34 verse 7 says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who hope in his steadfast unfailing love that's where the angel of the Lord is 
says, it goes on, it says, and he delivers them. He delivers them. So as for me and my house, so me and Elena and Aubrey, Hendry and Bertus, our hope is in the steadfast love of God. That is to honor God. That is the fear of the Lord. And what will be with us? Around us will be the angel of the Lord. And what will the angel of the Lord do? He will deliver us. He will deliver us. Deliver us from what? From the fruit of the flesh, from the death of this world. You can go and look at Hebrews, for instance. If we know the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us, understanding this fear of the Lord, we can see it in Hebrews uh, 13 verse 5. I'll give you a good example here. I want to just say this. Our young people, if I think of my sons, my three, uh, three sons, young men, and I want to focus on young men a little bit here. It's obviously for young women as well. But if we think of young men in this world, we are, now say we, I'm not that young anymore, but they are made the culprit for everything that's bad. It's these young men. You know, it's uh, uh, men is the problem. Especially if you look at young men, I'm going to say just as it is, especially white young men. And I'm not trying to get political here. I want to bring the gospel to a place where it can make sense to people and address a certain need that there is in the world today. The safest place for young men like that today is in the gospel, in the church, where the church is focused on who we are in Jesus Christ so that they can know that sins has been removed as far as the east is from the west, that they are a new creation, that their identity is in God, that they can expect the unfailing love, the steadfast love of God, which will produce in them what God God has dreamt from, for them from before the world began, where there can be a proper biblical definition of what family is. What is a family? According to the Bible, not according to the new way of saying things. According to the Bible, what is a family? That they can know that. If there are people that does family in a different way, people can do whatever they want in the world. But as for young men, and safety where they will not be uh, and live as outcasts in the world, as the problem of this world, but where they can live strong, have good families, love, be kind, be generous from a strong identity. That is found in the church. That is found in the church. I remember when I grew, grew up in the old South Africa, man. If I, if it wasn't for the Lord, I would be 100% a product of the system. But God saved me. He saved me. He gave me a brand new life. And that is what God has for us. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. We are not ashamed of the Bible and what is in the scriptures. Long after all religions has passed away, Christianity will stand. That is it. God, God's love is from everlasting to everlasting. His love is revealed in Jesus who died and was raised from the dead. And God 
today stand on bended knee before the world. And he says, let all the earth have their hope in my unfailing love, who is the resurrected Jesus, from where life is born in us, where we are saved, where we find his life, like written in Hebrews. Let me, let me give you a good example. This is something good for young men to understand as well. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now, how will you ever get that right? Read on. Because God has said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Can you see the steadfast love of God preached in the area of money here? I will never leave you, nor forsake you. As you realize that God will never leave you, he will never forsake you, what will happen is your life will be free from the love of money. Do you know it was for the love of money that Judas betrayed the Lord? That's what took place. Judas betrayed the Lord because of a love of money. We don't want our young men and young ladies and people to have a love for money. We want them to be content with such things as you have. I've seen millionaires living from contentment. They cannot be controlled by the things of this world because they are free. They are free. I know people like that personally. They live from contentment. Why? Because they know God will never leave them nor forsake them. So as you fear the Lord, what, do, what will we have? We will have contentment and not the rulership and the dictatorship of this world over us. And our children can be free. The righteousness of Jesus will be on our children's children. As what? As we expect his unfailing love, which is shown in Jesus Christ. Right. Let's go on. We read Psalm... Uh, Psalm 30, 34 verse 7, I've just read this, 34 verse uh, 9. O fear the Lord, you his servants, for those who fear him have no lack. Glory to God. You, I, I, can, I can testify of this. Having a confident hope in the steadfast love of God leaves you at a place where you have no lack. You're never without hope. You're never without contentment. You're never without peace. He brings it forth in you and he provides for you. You have no lack. Psalm 145 verse 19. He fills the desire of those who fear him. He fills the desire of those who expect his unfailing, who hope in his, whose hope is in his unfailing love. That's the fear of the Lord, hoping in the unfailing love. What does he do with him? He fills the desire of those who hope in his unfailing love. What is our hope in his unfailing love? It's the resurrection. It's a life born from him. Plus, I want to say this, as we hope in his unfailing love, we find that he will bring forth desires in us. He hears, this, he hears their cry and saves them. He fulfills the desires of those who has hope in his unfailing love. He hears their cry and he saves them. This is so, so beautiful. I've got two more verses. Listen to what he says in, in uh, Ecclesiastes 3.14. I perceive that whatsoever God does endures forever. 
Nothing can be added to it, nor can anything be taken from it. God has done it so that people can fear before him. <laughs> so what God does in Jesus, he raised him from the dead. Nothing can be added. Nothing can be taken. You cannot add to his quality of life. Neither can you kill Jesus. It's impossible. He has shown his eternal life in this man so that we can have our confident expectation from the unfailing, steadfast love of God. Hallelujah. He raised Jesus from the dead so that we can have our hope in his unfailing and steadfast love. I want to say to you, this earth is not going to be protected by the invention of the lithium battery. We need to understand that. Elon Musk cannot save the earth. Neither Joe Rogan. He can also not save the earth. I mean, uh, uh, trying to get back to, to certain Christian values and logic outside of Christ cannot. You cannot. I mean, if we think of preserving the earth, we cannot save ourselves by doing that. It is impossible. You know, Elon Musk, he will live and he will die and he will be forgotten. Plus his inventions, eventually, given enough time, will be forgotten. Humans are like the flower of the field. They are not steadfast. They do not last forever. We cannot have our young men and women have their hope in the latest inventions and cars and how we're going to protect nature and all those kind of things. No, the way we're going to live and continue is by seeing the resurrected Jesus, what that spells, what that means, and how that comes to the earth. It's like I was thinking, I was speaking to Eliana the other day, if we, I've got just five minutes, I want to say this in five minutes. I was thinking of why do we live holy lives on the earth? Why do we live the way we live? Why are we kind and generous? Why do we consider one another and so forth? If I go to America and I live there and after a year I find some other South Africans that live there, you will find that at my house I'm going to do things the way it's done in South Africa. The way we will cook our food and those kind of things will be a South African way. That's all we know. That's what I am. I'm a South African, but I live in America. If I find other South Africans, we will find that where we are, we do things the South African way. We will braai. We don't call it barbecue. Man. Barbecue is not a braai. We're going to braai. Then we want dried meat. We want, can't call it dry meat, we call it bultong, droevors. We want chutney. We want, there's things that we want that is, we want marmite. We want things that are South African. That's what we want. We talk about South Africa. We, we will clothe ourselves like South Africans. Why? Because we are South Africans. That's what we feel home is. And wherever we are, it will almost be like a small colony of South Africa right there. If we can find enough people, we'll build a city. We'll build a small South Africa right there. 
in America. And that's what has happened in Germany, uh, w- w- in Brazil. You can go to cities in Brazil. If you walk down the street, you think you're in Bavaria, in south southern parts of Germany. It's beautiful. It is, it's Germany. They speak German. The way they do things there is the way the Germans does it. And that is why we live holy, because we are of heaven. We expecting the unfailing love of God, the Spirit of God has come to us. We are born of heaven as what we see. The Father lives towards the Son and the Son lives towards us. We are part of that family and that's why we are kind because God is kind. We're part of that family. We are full of love. Why? Because that's who we are. That's that's it. And the most beautiful thing is imagine South Africa has taken over the U.S. and we are now already living there. With how much more boldness will we not be truly South African in the former America? We know that this kingdom is manifesting here and that is what's taking place on the earth. And that brings good, stable life in this earth. The only eternal, immortal thing that we've ever seen is the resurrected Jesus Christ. And we see that as God bowing down and helping us. I want to end off with this. Ecclesiastes 8.12 Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, although it seems as if certain things works for the world, yet I know that it will be well with me who have my confident hope in God Confidently expecting his unfailing love. Why? Because my confident expectation of his unfailing love is before the one who can produce it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Church, God loves you. We are not afraid. I have to say this. If you, if you drive in a desert and you're in a car and it is 50 degrees Celsius outside let's say 115 or 120 Fahrenheit, you're driving in the desert, we're not fearing the car. We are fearing not to be in the car. We're fearing the desert. And we stay in the car because the car provides safety for us. It provides uh, cool air. In the car is food and whatever we need, and it takes us through the desert. We're not afraid of the car. Our hope is in the car. And respect for the car would be, we're not going to try and break the car. We respect the car. We've got, we, we honor that vehicle because that vehicle is our source of life. That is how fear of the Lord works. We are afraid of the desert. We are afraid of the things outside. That's what you can be afraid of. But we're not afraid of the vehicle. We've got our confidence in the vehicle. And that is called respect. That is called honor. And that is what the fear of the Lord is. We've got a confident hope in his unfailing love, for his love cannot fail. Amen and amen. I'm sure many of you can testify of that. Well, thank you so much that I could have come to you today and that I could bring you this very good news message. Know that God always loves you. He will never turn his back on you. Like a father pities his children, he cares for you. You are deeply loved by God. And we'll chat again next week. God bless.